Hey everyone, welcome to the Ivy Collective podcast. Here's your host, Coach Reagan Ivy, the COO of Consumed Coaching. And I am so excited to be digging into this podcast with you because I thought for the first like real podcast, it should actually be me sharing my story so you can get to know a little bit about me. Um, maybe know some things you didn't know if you actually know me or have followed me for a long time. And um yeah, just for you to know my story, because over the next few months, you're going to be hearing from some amazing people and hearing their stories and to hear how God has been using them all of their life and how they're living out their calling. But I thought first, it might be good for you to know why I started this podcast and who I am and where I came from. So let's dive into today's episode. So if we're going to talk about my story, I guess we should start from the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about my parents, who they are, um, how they grew up and how so different they were and um, just how cool of a God story. And I know at some point I'll be having my mom on the podcast and you'll be hearing directly from her, her story, which is phenomenal. Uh, so I thought I would tell you a little little bit. So my parents, my dad's name was Wade Ivy and my mom's name is Francine Ivy and um, or Francine Wallace Ivy. So my dad, let's see, he was an Southern Alabama boy born originally in Columbia, South Carolina, and grew up a little bit in Florida, but then moved to South Alabama whenever he was in elementary school. He was the most amazing man you would ever meet. He um, could play just about any instrument. I remember being little and we would have a song I would want to sing at church and I'd be like, hey, dad, could you just like listen to the song and help me learn it and everything? And he would listen to it twice and have the song like down. He would know how to play every single instrument. He could like write it. It was crazy. Just like, oh my gosh, the talent and genius of that man was insane whenever it came to musical instruments. Um, someone bought us like a mandolin or something and he went into his office within an 30 minutes, he already knew how to play the instrument. He just watched like two videos on YouTube and knew how to do it. It was crazy. So he was amazing. And um, he, let's see, he was a pastor and um, his first becoming like a senior pastor was right before I was born. So I grew up a pastor's kid and he had four doctorates, two of which were awarded to him, which was universities who saw just the work he did and who he was. And they were like, you need to have this degree behind you. Um, so he was given to um, doctorates and got his PhD and his doctorate of ministry by studying himself. It was crazy. He almost had a triple major bachelor, but one professor didn't like that he didn't sing in her opera and decided to not pass him for the vocal lessons just because he said no. Kind of insane. And I was like, why don't you just go back and get that? So crazy. But triple bachelor, he had an associate's degree. He had one or two master's degrees. It was like crazy. He loved school. So he grew up in South Alabama and moved all over. He was just so smart. I remember he told us this one story that whenever he was getting his associate's degree, I think he decided to take the Mensa test just for laughs and he got in 
which is just insane that he reached like a genius level IQ. Crazy. Um, my brother aspires to be like him in that. Um, so he was so smart. He was a dean like at one point for college. Crazy. Um, but then you look at and he was like white boy through and through. Although he had the black belt in karate. Um, my uncle told me about this. He said that whenever my dad came home from college, he was unloading a suitcase and my uncle saw his black belt and was like, come on, Wade, like you can't do that. You can't dye your white belt or your yellow belt or whatever. You've got to actually earn it and did not believe that my dad had earned his black belt in Shotokan karate. So crazy stuff. Um, so then my mom, on the other hand, she was born in Japan. She is half Japanese. Um, her dad was in the military. He was in the Navy and he met my grandmother in Japan. They fell in love and um, my mom grew up in Asia, moved all over the States. Crazy story with her life. Like at one point, her uncle walked in, which was my grandmother's uh, brother, um, walked in to check on her because she was in her crib. She was a baby. And all of a sudden, the family heard a thud on the floor. And it was because a king cobra snake was under her crib. And my uncle Taka literally passed out from seeing the snake. So thank you, Jesus. He protected my mom because my uncle Taka was no help. Oh my gosh. So she like grew up totally different. And it's so funny, like how God brought them together, which I'll let her share that side of the story whenever I have her on the podcast, because the way my mom and dad met is the craziest story and just one that you have to hear straight from her. But they are just one of the most amazing couples I've ever been able to know. And I'm so blessed that they're my parents because they showed me what it looks like to love the Lord so well and to love each other. There was never a day that they were not madly in love with each other and showed that it was a choice. So yeah, she would tell you that she just still thinks of him and would get schoolgirl butterflies in her stomach just thinking about him. So I grew up in ministry full-time. If my dad wasn't a senior pastor, we were on the road in full-time evangelism. I was like nine years old and we were on a trip and we pulled into this church and this lady was talking to us after my dad had preached and she was like, oh honey, it must have been just such a long trip. Did y'all fly? And we're like, no, we drove. And she was like, oh, that must have been awful. And my parents and I, we were like laughing and I looked at her nine years old and told her oh, it was just 12 hours. And she about passed out thinking that I thought 12 hours was not a long time. It was hilarious. And so um, grew up traveling. We road tripped all the time. Um, I have a brother and sister. We're each five years apart. So my sister is five years younger than me and my brother's 10 years younger than me. We are like the best of friends and that did not come easily. We definitely had to fight for that. But oh my gosh, love them so much. And they're also going to be on the podcast too. So be looking for that. So yeah, we grew up in full-time ministry, loving the Lord, loving each other. I was in and out of being in public school, private school, or homeschooling. We just kind of took every single year and prayed about it. And yeah, so much fun. Just such a great and not perfect at all by any means life, but one that was just filled with wanting to serve the Lord. So now I thought I would dig into a little bit about how I got saved or how I got to know the Lord in just such a amazing way. So I grew up, like I said, my parents were pastors and ministers all my life. And so we had 
grown up in such a way that I remember my parents would have me before I would pray over the meal and we would thank the Lord for our food. I would always say, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. And thank you for dying on the cross for all of our sins. And just having that kind of growing up, fully understanding the Lord and who he was at a very young age. I remember being four years old and my dad called me up onto the stage at the church and he would have me lead in what the communion was. And he just had me in constant movement of just sharing about the Lord. So before I was ever saved, I was actually sharing about Jesus. I remember at the park one time, I think I was like six or no, I had to be five years old. And I was at the park and there was this little girl I was playing with. And I said, so do you, do you know Jesus? And she goes, who? I was floored that this girl did not know Jesus. And so immediately I presented the gospel because that's just how I grew up. I was literally sharing the gospel before I got saved. (laughs) So whenever I was six years old, I think I might've had a nightmare or something. And I went and crawled into my mom and dad's room and crawled into their bed. And I remember hearing this song play, just no lyrics, but I recognized the song. And so I woke up and I remember looking around and my dad wasn't in the room and my mom was fast asleep. And all of a sudden I heard, and I know that this is something that normally people would say, not audibly, but audibly I heard this voice say to me, I love you, Reagan. I love you. And immediately I knew that that was Jesus. I knew it was Jesus telling me that he loved me. And so that was the first time that it became something so personal, not just knowing that I had to share because that's what I do, not just thanking Jesus for dying on the cross for me. And I mean, not to say that I didn't, it was just the moment that it really became real. It became something for me to understand. And so I went to him and I immediately prayed and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve what you did. And the fact that you love me, and I gave my life to Jesus in that moment, which is crazy to me. 21 years later, thinking back on how the Lord called me to himself to be able to know that the Holy Spirit was genuinely calling me, and knowing that that was the moment that I decided to give my life to the Lord. And so I got up, I ran to my dad's office because I was looking around for him all around the house and he was in his office prepping for a sermon. And I told him and they were like, okay, let's, we're going to pray and we're going to make sure and then we'll get baptized. And so I remember being so frustrated and being like, we don't have to make sure. I am sure. I am saved. Y'all need to get me baptized. That's what we need to do. Um, And so, you know, just being six years old. And then my parents watched me and really made sure that I understood what it meant to follow the Lord and to uh, live a life that is walking out salvation and just understanding who Jesus is. And not that it was something I watched other people do, not because my parents told me it was the right thing to do, but it was my own salvation, which is so important and something that I am so thankful that my parents did, even though I was frustrated at the time, because they really wanted to know that it was real, you know? And that's really discipleship, is really wanting to 
dig in, ask questions, and not questioning my faith, but to make sure that I understood what I was getting into. And so about a month later, my dad got to baptize me at our church. Not to say that me being six years old didn't show up because I was definitely like, this thing is warm because it was in one that they had the like warm water and it was heated. And I was like, um, let me get baptized every week because that's amazing. So it was just this beautiful thing of being able to understand that. And so a year or six months later, we were on a mission trip and my dad said, hey, Reagan, I want you to get on stage and I want you to share your testimony. And that was one of the most beautiful things to experience. And thinking back 20 years later to know that my dad really wanted to, me to know that I'm not the church of tomorrow, that I don't have to wait until I'm way older and I understand everything but that I could just share my story of how Jesus said he loved me and how he says that he loves all of us and everyone that was in front of me. And that day, 14 kids gave their life to Christ. Like, my parents knew how to steward, and now looking back, they were hearing the Holy Spirit lead them into putting me on stage, which is something I do now. And sharing my story and why I started this podcast and why I'm on social media every single day and like all of those things is because of those simple acts of wanting to raise me up to understand that I wasn't the church of someday, but I'm the church of right now as long as I have breath in my lungs. And so if you're listening to this, I hope that whenever you hear this or if you're watching this on YouTube, that you will actually hear that you are the church of right now. That the most important story you could ever share is the way that you came to faith of understanding who Jesus is. And that the way people hear that is they're going to then understand who Jesus really is. You see, it is important, and I will say this over and over and over again, that you have to dig into the Bible. You have to be a theologian. A theologian is one who studies God. It is important for us to truly know him, but that shouldn't stop you from sharing your story now if you don't know everything yet. If you share your story, far more people are going to relate to that story Thank goodness we have the Gospels. And that literally is the disciples watching Jesus and writing it down for the churches to know what they witnessed. And that's what you're called to do too. And so I don't want to get off on a huge tangent with that, but I am telling you that this is your sign, if you are listening to this, that you need to be sharing your story. There's so much inside of you that the Lord wants to have the world hear. And so do not stay quiet on the things that God's done in your life. I'm so thankful that my parents didn't wait and made sure to put me on stage. And even before then, I was learning about how to share my faith, even though I wasn't fully in my faith yet, because they understood that God had given me gifts to share. And so you do too. So whenever I was um, seven years old, I did that in Mexico. And then a week later at our VBS, and seven more kids gave their life to Christ. And that is just one of those moments that I go back to and like, thank you, Lord. Like, that's crazy that you used a seven-year-old to lead other kids to knowing who you are. Like, that's just crazy. And thank you, Lord, for talking to my parents about that, <laughs> you know? Um, 
And so from there, I went to a conference with my parents and some pastors on staff. And this is another one of those pillar moments for me and growing in my faith. There was worship happening at the conference, of course. And I remember our children's pastor looked at me and because I was just watching on stage, like watching what was happening on stage. And he nudged me a little bit. He goes, Reagan girl, you got to learn how to worship Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I mean, you can, you can very easily learn this about me, but whenever people like challenge me and thinking that I'm wrong, I am going to immediately like get really competitive. (laughs) And so I remember looking around and going, okay, well then what am I doing wrong? And so I was watching at seven years old and I was watching and watching other people and then me, (laughs) I started like raising my hands, closing my eyes and, you know, just doing all of the postures of worship that I could see other people doing. And a couple weeks later, we were at church and some of my friends were sitting next to me at seven years old, you guys. And so I'm raising my hands and closing my eyes and my friends like nudge me and they're like, what are you doing? I said, oh, stop it. I'm worshiping Jesus right now. And so it was just so funny. And my parents, you know, they were like, of course, like, let her do the posture of worship. And through that, then she'll understand the reason behind it as she grows. And so that I feel like it's just the story of my life is my parents and leaders that have been around me. They're like, let her practice it. Let her do it. And then later she'll understand the depth of it. And that will come through growing and through evangelism and discipleship and through the Holy Spirit, because that has been my whole life. And so um, I remember going up and praying over people at altar call at seven and just putting my hands up on them and just praying. And because of that, I mean, literally, those are the things I do now with fully understanding the purpose behind them. So yeah, just growing up, that was such like pivotal moments of my life that caused me to grow. And then, um, I guess we can fast forward I was in elementary school. I was in fifth grade. And do y'all remember that time whenever you're young and everyone's like, oh, you need a boyfriend. Oh my gosh, I just got a new boyfriend. And they're like literally 10 years old. And you're like, what are you doing? Why do you think that you should have a boyfriend? Like, is this too much like you know, the Disney movies, like, what is this? You know, and, and not to cut on Disney movies. I totally watched all of those as a kid. I am a big movie person. I love watching movies and TV shows. So like, don't get me started on that. But um, I was like, you know, like, why are you doing this? Like, you're so little. Um, But I'll never forget. I was in fourth, fifth grade. And all of my friends were like, Reagan, you need a boyfriend. You need a boyfriend. Reagan, you need a boyfriend. And I'm telling you guys, like, I'm like really hardcore on things. And so my dad picked me up from school and I was super quiet. I was just like thinking about how my friends just kept saying, you need a boyfriend. And I was like pondering it. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just downloaded. He goes, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. And so I turned to my dad and he was not prepped for this at all. I was like, you know what? My friends are crazy. They keep telling me I need a boyfriend. And you know what? If I needed one, God would give me one. And so since I don't have one, I don't need one. And that's it. That's that. 
And so like so hardcore. And I totally told all of my friends that I was like, if I needed one, God would give me one so you can stop thinking I need one. And so like just thinking back on that, I'm like, that's crazy. But also, I mean, like good, good advice. Like if you need one, God's got one and he'll bring you one. But if you don't have one, you don't need one. So stop it. Um, <laughs> I guess I should have told that to me at 20 years old, whenever I was totally obsessed with like, God, where's my future husband? Um, and so <laughs> then fast forward, I was 12 and, um, so like two years and I remember I was starting in on the question that, you know, if you grew up in a like Christian household, you probably ask this question of like, mom, dad, when can I have a relationship? When can I be in a relationship? And my parents, they had this rule. They never said at age. They always said, whenever we believe that the Lord says you're mature enough to be able to have that, like we don't go based on age, we go based on maturity. And that was just the crappiest answer to hear, even though looking at it as an adult, you're like, oh, that's really good advice. Like, it doesn't matter in age if you're immature. Like, you can be 35 and the most immature person who cannot handle and steward things well. So, like, it's a good rule, but good Lord hearing it, you're like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I was so frustrated and I was like, okay, Lord, this is on you now. So, when, when can I have, when can I be open to dating? And the Lord just goes, 17. And I was like, what? He's like, you can be open to it, but not until, like, you cannot be open to dating until you're 17. And so I was like, all right, Lord, goal. And so um, the Lord just had me wait. And uh, I remember, like, going through middle school, and because I was in sixth grade at that point, and the Lord just like opened opportunities for me to really share that with people. And at 15, I was put on the stage in front of 600 middle schoolers and got to share my story about how the Lord had called me to wait, not even just to wait, like with purity wise, but to wait with my heart because God took me back to whenever I was six years old. And he goes, Reagan, that day that you gave your life to me, you said you gave me your heart. And so why is it you think that you should be the one to give it away? And that is one statement that still just blows me away on so many things, like not just in relationships and any of those things, but also just in our life. If we know that we have given our life and our heart to him, then he should be the one that gives it away, not us. Because the moment that I start to put my own ideas and my own thoughts and expectations and everything is the moment that I start going, God, you know what? You're not supposed to be God of this area anymore. I'm actually going to take this back and it's now mine and I'm going to be the one in charge. Whenever we know that that is something that is not ever going to pan out in the best way, it's actually going to pan out the worst way because that means our flesh is rising up and our flesh leads to sin, which leads to destruction. So it's not going to pan out. Instead, whenever we leave it with him, there's such peace and understanding that God's timing is really perfect. I remember reading this quote like a few weeks ago, and I don't remember who said it, but it was so good. They said, if we know that God is never late, then why is it we'd never trust his timing? I was like, oh, dang, that's like really convicting. Because like, 
you know, like every single time we do this thing, I know my pastor, he says this, that whenever we say that we're giving things to the Lord, it's kind of like we put the thing in a box and we like put it in front of him. But then we just keep staring at the box and being like, Lord, when are you going to pick that up? You know, <laughs> like, when are you going to do this? And so I'll know. <laughs> I remember growing up. And so I'm telling you, like I shared that story about how God called me to wait and how he told me to give my heart to him and that it was never mine to give away. It was only for him to do. And I'll never forget. I turned 17 and I was like, all right, Lord, I waited. I did it. All of my friends didn't do it. I waited. Where? And I was like, and Lord, like my friends couldn't date till they were 16. And guess when they started dating? 14 to hide it from their parents. I'm a good Christian girl. I did what you said. I didn't date. I said no to guys. I shut it down. If I saw a guy start to like me, I started telling him my story. Like I was like, Lord, I am doing a really good job. And so then I turned 17. And guess what didn't happen? Didn't start dating at all. Nope. Nowhere. Every single time I would be like, okay, Lord, is it him? Nope. Is it him? Nope. Then I turn 18. I'm like, God, surely, surely you have my husband, right? Like, surely he's coming along now. Nope. Then 19, 20. And also, let me say this. Put a little bit of a time limit on the Lord because, like, not just 17. But I was like, okay, but Lord, my mom got married whenever she was 21. I want to be 21 whenever I get married because that just seems right. And then that didn't happen. And so the Lord was like bringing me back to, hey, don't you remember? I said, my heart, like Reagan, your heart is mine to give away, not yours. Stop it. Trust me. And so I remember struggling through. So now kind of comes the part of my story that um, is one of the hardest parts of this is I was um, 20 years old and I had moved to, and this is whenever you kind of look back on your life and you go, wow, Lord, thank you. Because if everything had gone my way and this happened, I don't even know how I'd be able to cope or if this would be the healthiest thing. Because the Lord really does have the best plans because he knows what's going to happen because we live in a fallen world. Um, so I was 20 years old and I had moved to the Dallas Fort Worth area from Alabama and I was going to college and it was one of the healthiest years of my life because uh, I had gone through a lot of church hurt. Some things happened and some leadership um, had said some things about my family and then some people had said things about me that were not true and I believed those lies about myself not about my family they were so wrong I mean even to the point where people were saying rumors and telling me while I was getting my hair cut like at salons they were telling me stuff that people had said in this town about my dad and like it was so not true and just like craziness all of that stuff happening. And I just remember really feeling like Elijah in the cave whenever he's like, Lord, only I serve you. I am alone in this. And like all of this stuff. And I walked in um, 
my first weekend of going to this college and I went to church and 4,000 people were standing there worshiping the Lord. And God just said, Reagan, you're not alone in loving me. So I had this just wonderful year of being honored, really affirmed, and having fun being in college, being 20, and making a lot of really good friends. And I got a phone call from my parents, and my dad said, hey, Reagan, I really think that you need to come home for a semester. And I remember just feeling so angry. And golly, I'm going to try not to cry. But I was so frustrated because back in January, this was in October, that my dad called me. He's like, I think you need to come home after this semester for at least a semester, do ministry with us. Um, but back in January, whenever I was um, looking at and about to move to Texas from my home. And I just remember talking to my parents and just being like, come on, like, this is so scary. And my dad said, Reagan, don't worry. Um, you're going to move first, and then the family's going to follow you. And the whole family's going to move to Texas, too. We see it. And um, that was like my number one argument with my dad the whole year. It was like, when are you coming to Texas? And he was like, I know, Reagan, the family's coming. I just don't feel led yet. And so fast forward, it's October. It's the day after I went to a concert with my friends and had just the time of my life. It was so much fun. And my parents said, hey, Reagan, um, finances are really tight right now. And we, we really feel like you're supposed to come home for a semester and do ministry with us. And then we'll reevaluate after that. And I was devastated and just so angry because I was like, what are you talking about? Why would I be going back to that place whenever y'all are supposed to be coming to where I am? Like, what are you talking about? And so I, rem I was on a, I was on the road and just struggling, like going, God, I really need some answers. And so I started reaching out to places and like the area and just seeing if I could get hired at a church or um, get a paid internship or something, just something that would make it to where I could kind of argue back and just say like, no, I really need to stay here. And nothing panned out. And I was just praying. I was like, come on, Lord, like, I really want to stay here. I don't understand why you're making me go back to a place I really don't want to go to. And I was, I had, I was on the way home from school and I could either turn right or turn left. So turning left would be to go to the house I was living in. Or if I turned right, it would be to go to a um, young adults night at my church. And they had a special speaker and stuff. And none of my friends were going that night. Like something was happening with school and they couldn't go. And so last minute, like literally the last second. I went boom, and turned right and the Lord just said, go. And I heard this sermon from the uh, chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys at the time. And I think it was Jonathan Evans. I think that's his name. I don't know. So don't like quote me on it. But he was talking about this one verse and it says, um, and David fulfilled his purpose to his generation and he laid down and he died. 
and that was like the whole sermon, just talking about fulfilling his purpose to his generation. And I just sat there and God said, in order for you to fulfill your purpose for your generation, I need you to go back home to Alabama. And I sobbed, <laughs> like sobbed. And I was like, okay, Lord, I, I'll go home. And so I did. And after the semester ended, I went back to Alabama and I just remember talking to my dad just over and over like, dad, come on, when are we moving? When are you moving to Texas? Come on. Like, I really want to go back. I really want to go back. And, um, but then every single day was so sweet. We recorded, um, he's really bad. Like if you look them up, they're so bad. Um, let's just say my sister is the worship leader of our family and my brother kills it with like music and my dad too, of course. Um, I took singing lessons and stuff, but like my thing is really just to speak. I can sing, but you know, my sister and my dad had this idea to do the 25 days of Christmas. And so every single day we did a video singing a Christmas carol or a Christmas song. And like, if you watch them, like they're, I don't, I mean, like they're sweet, they're sweet now, but like low key embarrassing. And so I just remember going home and just being like, what are we doing? And we would like dress up and we do all of these songs. And I was totally the 20 year old who thought she knew everything. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, but every single day I just remember like hugging my dad a lot and just savoring being with him and watching movies and cutting up and laughing. And, uh, my birthday is January 15th. And so my best friend who we've been best friends years and she will also be on the podcast soon. Um, our birthdays are exactly one month apart. She's December 15th and I'm January 15th. And my parents surprised me by sending me on a cruise with her and her mom. And we were celebrating our 21st birthday on the weekend of January 4th through January 8th or January 9th. And my mom was supposed to go, but she ended up not being able to make it and just all of these things. And so um, I remember I was packing up and we were packing up the car so I could go on this cruise with my friend. And it was like a cheap cruise. It just so happened to be like a really great deal. And um, they surprised me for my birthday with that. And so we packed up and my dad was walking around and he was saying goodbye because immediately after the cruise, my best friend and her mom were going to be driving back to North Carolina where they live. And uh, he knew he wouldn't be able to see them once they got back from the cruise. And so he went around and he hugged them and just said, I love you. Thank you so much for taking care of my girl. And um, I hope you'll have so much fun. And um, then he walked into the house and gosh, I'm going to try not to cry. Um, I had no idea that that month that I was home was because the Lord gave me one last month with my dad. Because the um, last night of the cruise was a Sunday, and that Sunday morning my dad preached a sermon. And um, he was talking about being consumed by the call of God, which is um, 
a quote that he read from uh, Jim Elliot, which was a missionary that was his favorite missionary he had ever heard of. Because this man was around 20 years old, 20 to 25 years old, and he went on a mission trip, um, left his wife and daughter, went on a mission trip, and he was spreading the word. And he ended up being killed by a tribe and being martyred for the faith. And he had this quote that said, um, Oh, he is no fool if he would give the thing he cannot keep to gain what he could never lose. And my dad, whenever he was at a church in North Carolina, he would take this youth group. It was this big, um, this really big ministry, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. And it was um, a conference called Acquire the Fire and they, and Teen Mania, and they had this really big sign on their door whenever you leave the building that said consumed by the call. And so my dad was preaching about being consumed by the call of God on your life. It was powerful. He was calling up all of these different pastors and ministers that he had prayed over and mentored and called into the ministry. And he was calling them back to being consumed by the call. And so it was powerful. My brother was 11 at the time and he gave his life to the Lord. And there's in the live video on Facebook, you can actually see my little brother's hand wrap around my dad's back as he, as he gave his life to the Lord. And my sister was last, literally last minute. My dad said, as she walked into the church, said, hey, Peyton, I want you to lead us in three songs. I want you to do a mini concert. And so she did that. My mom had a prophetic word that she gave over the year and um, it was powerful. And I was on the cruise and the Lord had spoken to me the day before and I had called my dad that uh, the night before and I was just talking to him about what the Lord told me. And I was like, dad, like, I really see it. We're going to be doing ministry. We're going to go share. We're going to, you know, make an impact on the world. And he goes, honey, I see it. Yes. And um, so then my parents and my brother and sister got home and they had chicken and as a good pastor's family, um, they had fried chicken and my dad looked over at my mom and my brother and sister hugged them tight and said, man, like preach the house down. My daughter is on a cruise. My other daughter did a concert. Francine, you had a word from the Lord and Grayson gave his life to Jesus. Man. This is the day of the Ivies. And so a few hours later, he went to the store, and because of a tragic car accident, he was killed. And um, so thinking back, and so then I found out a few hours later while I was on the cruise, my mom was finally able to get through to the cruise line, and um, they got a phone down to me, and so I could talk to her and hear the news. Um, and looking back on that moment, whenever I was at that young adult sermon, I'm so thankful that even in the midst of the times whenever I was so frustrated, like, Lord, why would you call me away from a place that makes me feel so honored and so happy and feel so good? to a place where I don't want to go back to. I want them to move with me. 
having no idea that the Lord was saying, Reagan, you're about to go and witness your dad living out his purpose for his generation. And you're going to have some sweet time with him. And so, um, I'll never forget the day of his wake because, um, five and a half hours of standing because people just wanted to come and, and love on us and say goodbye to my dad. And the next day was um, my dad's funeral or what we like to say the celebration of life. There was over 2,000 people showed up and over 100 people gave their life to Christ because my mom got up and preached the gospel. We had four pastors speak. We had five different singers sing worship, and people were standing up and praising the Lord and worshiping Him. And just, it was the most revival celebration of life or funeral ever. It was crazy just seeing how the Lord was lifted up in exactly the way that my dad would have wanted it to be. And um, it was crazy because that was the day before my 21st birthday. And, um, it was it was crazy because it was both heart-wrenching and the most beautiful thing to see how the Lord really does say that he gives us peace that surpasses understanding and joy that comes after mourning because all of those pastors and ministers that my dad had called out in his last sermon flew in from around the world to celebrate his life and to think him and to thank the Lord for what my dad did in their lives. And they're all serving the Lord. It's crazy, crazy. And so four days after the funeral, my mom got woken up by the Lord at like 5.30 a.m., which if you knew my mom or know my mom, like you would know she is not an early riser. Like my dad would have to put coffee under her nose to coax her out of bed at like 8 30 or 9 so like 5 30 is crazy and my dad had started this ministry a few months before where he would go live every single morning monday through friday and do a live devotional and for like 10 minutes at 7 30 in the morning like crazy and so um my mom would always be like in her pajamas drinking coffee behind the camera like just trying to help him so god woke her up at 5 30 a.m and said i want you to go live and he um he said i want you to share what god what i'm doing in your life right now and so she did and she just talked about how we had listened to that song that had come out recently which is thy will be done and um which is talking about jesus in the garden of gethsemane and how um he said like lord if it's your will please let this cup pass from me but not my will but your will be done and how we were just, you know, crying out to the Lord and saying, like, God, your will be done. Even though we really wish that our will was. Like, I really, really wish that my dad was still alive. I really wish that he could see what we're doing right now. Because, oh my gosh, he'd freak out. It'd be so cool. <laughs> but my, um, so my mom did. And I remember because, you know, we're all grieving. I just remember I was in her room. 
and I watched her go into the little office that was connected to her room and watching her go live and just wondering what she was doing. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, how is my mom awake at 5.30 in the morning and dressed and doing a video? And it's four days after, you know, her husband's funeral, my dad's funeral. And um, really, it was just crazy because, like, whenever she got done, she I was just like, what on earth were you doing? And... um. She just said, I don't know, just the Lord woke me up and told me I was supposed to do that. And I don't know, maybe like a few people watch, who knows. Um, within 24 hours, over 34,000 people watched that video. And God said, I want you to do that every single day. Monday through Friday, I want you to carry on what your husband did. And my mom is awesome and a brat. And she was an only child growing up and um, grew up in the 80s. So she had that like strong, you know, she has that strong like, okay, Lord, if you're going to call me to this, like here. And so she goes, okay, Lord, then you have to wake me up. I'm never setting an alarm and I'm not going to plan out what I'm going to say. You have to give me the word every single day. And so for three and a half years, he did. <laughs> and so... um. After that, we picked up the ministry, Consumed by the Call Ministries, and we got to share for years just all over the U.S. Any door that would open up, we would just share what God's doing and what he did. And um, what's crazy, though, is that for me, who grew up sharing and standing on stages all of her life, um, after my dad passed away, I didn't. I would go, and if someone sat across the table from me, I would share the story. I would share um, who God is, but it would just be very quiet and one-on-one. -on -one. Um, my sister, who was 16 at the time, she shared and sang at my dad's celebration of life, and I just sat on the pew. And for years, I really struggled with that. Like, God, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, I grew up speaking and sharing, but why did I get quiet? And I remember there would be conferences just trying to reach out. Oh, and this was back in 2017. Um, so January 8th, 2017, my dad passed away. And, um, you know, people would ask me if I would come and share my story or share a sermon. And I always turned him down because I was really just in a lot of pain because I love the Lord, like did not struggle with my love for him, but I did struggle with my trust because I struggled with like, God, like I thought I prayed. I thought I prayed protection. I thought I did all of these things. So like, why didn't you come through? We were doing everything right. Like, Lord, was it supposed to be that um, they were, my dad was supposed to move to Texas? Like, what's going on? Like, why was this not working? And um, he just kept saying, like, Reagan, trust me. And so then it was like, because of that grief and that pain, it was like everything just kept getting a little worse. Like, those lies that I referenced before um, with church hurt was something that was like really coming across in that time. It had been whenever I was 17, those lies had been spoken over me and the lies were that were said were that, um, I was 
someone who undermined authority and that I was always trying to take over and do all of these things. They said like the youth group's talking bad about you and you know, it's all true and all of these things. Like it was crazy. And then later I found out that it was all because they had gotten in trouble. And so they had gotten angry with me and just, it was just a horrible situation. And so those little things, like I just remember being so angry and bitter for years that I would, um, any chance someone would start talking to me, it, it would come up like just complete bitterness would come through. And then I was hiding because of it and because I was trying to make myself feel better and other people were trying to make me feel better. They were like, okay, Reagan, well, like maybe you're not supposed to be a leader. Maybe, maybe you're supposed to be a help me because I was refusing to step into any leadership role because I was afraid that those lies would be true and that then someone else would say those things about me and I was refusing to ever allow those things to be said of me again and so I would hide and then after I lost my dad who was my biggest encouragement and encourager it became worse and so I because like I said I didn't doubt who God was I didn't doubt what God could do but I struggled with trusting him because I was like how could you let my dad die and then I was like, okay, I became a control freak, like trying to take care of my family. So moved home. Um, and unless my mom was preaching, she couldn't finish sentences because of grief brain. And if you've ever experienced grief, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so it was just like this whole chaotic circle. And then we, six months later, just like my dad said, he said, the family will follow you, Ray, you'll move first. And so six months after my dad passed away, we all moved to Texas and felt the Lord tell us to do that. So we moved home and because of my grief and just struggling so much, um, it was like, I went back to college and the girl who loved to show up to every event and was wanting to be involved just couldn't. Like, I just couldn't deal with it. I was like, we're doing ministry full time. That's great. But like, I just don't know that I can be involved in stuff. And so the moment classes would end, I would go home. And I remember just like freaking out during certain papers. And I'll never forget, I was taking healthy family dynamics and I had to uh, write out my family tree. And I just freaked out because I had to write for the first time that an ending date on my dad, on his like life, and just having to say, you know, June 25th, and then January 8th, 2017, and like having to write down the day that he died. And then I like had to email professors because like papers were having to turn in late, and thank God for like really grace-filled professors because they just heard me, and they're like, I get it. And so I just became more and more of a hermit. So fast forward a little bit, I... Um, again, like I said, I was hiding and just because of grief, it just became something where I was like, I started out after losing my dad, just helping lead worship. And I was like, it, like, um, I would randomly say something, but not a lot. And it just progressively got worse because of just like struggling, you know, just struggling with trusting the Lord and, um, 
and then tying that together with those lies that I heard whenever I was 17. And it was just, then the enemy just kept compounding it, like just kept growing it with then people started acting weird around me because of grief or maybe I perceived it that way and so then I just became even more enclosed and my my mom she was like hey uh I think I'm going to get certified as a as a life coach I think I'm going to add that and I was like okay that's cool that's kind of crazy but whatever and so the whole time if someone asked me like, Hey, what are you going to do whenever you grow up? Who are you going to be? I was like, you know, I'm going to do full-time ministry. Uh, maybe write a book. I don't know. Like just kind of do that. Um, speak and share. And then it went to like, I just want to be a wife and a mom someday. And like, it was just so weird. I was like, I wanted to be, and let me prerequisite. I do believe that stay at home moms are amazing. Like, if that is God's call in your life, that is an amazing, beautiful calling. But I was using that as a cop-out for not wanting to pursue what God had given me to do and told me to do. Because every single time, I, whenever I was 15, I was like, okay, my goal is to be a youth pastor's wife and have a cute little house. And like, that's the dream, Lord. And he was like, I have something different for you to do. And then um, I went to college and um I was given all of these prophetic words like God's going to bring you a relationship you cannot shoot a cannon from a canoe you have to do it from a platform and there will be others around you that are going to help you shoot those cannons into the world like there are big shots for you to fire and then um prophetic words that happened twice where um I see you on the side of a mountain and you are looking over a valley and you are preaching and you're calling the dry bones back to life. And then another prophetic word where it's like, um, that girl has, um, and a huge anointing on her life. And like, I knew all of those words and all of these other things that God had told me all of my life, but I really just wanted to be very small because I wanted anything, but then to have to deal with being out there and sharing with people and, having people where they could come against me and say something bad again. And because I didn't have my dad, who was such a powerful encourager, speaking into my life and telling me who I am and saying it with the most grounded in scripture way, because my dad, I'm telling you, like he was one of the most amazing theologians I've ever met. He knew the Bible inside and out and cared about the person in front of him, which was such a like beautiful dichotomy like the mix of caring so much about people there were so many people that came to us and just across the board every single one of them said if I ever was speaking to your dad I always felt like I was the only one in the room because he just had this way of listening sitting back and thinking for a couple of seconds to hear the Holy Spirit, and then would speak such profound truth into your life. It was the most amazing thing to watch and to experience. And so not having him come against those lies and really having to fight for it. And then, of course, you're in a family that's grieving. And so every single one of us became a little bit more selfish because we're all in such pain, which just makes sense. Just letting you know as a side thing. If you have a friend who is going through grief, give them space. 
but also don't give them so much space that you're not in their life. Like lean into the moments and really quick tip. If someone's grieving, ask them this question. Do you want to talk about it or do you need a distraction from it? Because there's a lot of times that we want to talk about the person that we love and we just lost, but we're afraid that you're going to feel uncomfortable if we do. And sometimes we really don't want to talk about how we're grieving. We just want a distraction from it. Because do you know how many movies have a dead dad in them or have a dad? And so like it's this horrible dynamic of you really don't know what to do to distract yourself because there's either a dad and then you miss having a dad or their dad dies. And you're like, that's horrible because that's my life. And so like just saying like sometimes they just want a distraction with somebody and so like lean in with those people because they don't want to be left alone unless they tell you they do and if they're being left alone pray for them <laughs> like so side tip on grieving people okay we can dive into that in a podcast at some point but so because of my dad being gone and just the encouragement gone I just was hiding. And so then I was trying to find anything that would make it to where I wasn't having to step forward. But then I was pursuing the Lord and in the word and just just asking him like, God, okay, like show me a vision for my life. Because um, like, I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but you know, like God called me to not date until then and still, you know, single as a Pringle. And so then I was like, okay, Lord, like didn't pan out. I wasn't 21 and getting married and now I'm 27. And so, but like at the time I was 25 and I was just like, okay, Lord, like what is this that you're calling me to do then? Cause all of this doesn't make sense. And I know that I'm called to do something, but nothing's panning out. And so I was doing like photography and, um, just helping with the ministry in a very like quiet way. I wasn't trying to be out there and share all the time though. I did like do some videos and stuff, but then the Lord um, called me to become a certified coach and to start a Christian coaching company with my mom. And it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, Lord, I do not want to be a coach. Like, no. Um, I saw that on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Like, in the movies, the coach is weird. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, but I loved being able to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and unlock inside of them what God had called them to do. Like, love doing that. And so... God like literally hit me over the head. I was like, Reagan, literally what you just said you love to do is a coach. Like literally what I've called you to do. And so I um I was like, okay, Lord, fine. And so I got certified with two different certifications and I started this company with my mom. And for two years I randomly would have clients, but it was really quiet still like wanting to show that I'm a founder of a company a co-founder but not wanting to really be out there and share a lot still just hiding and I was um being prepped actually this year we were prepping for a retreat we were hosting and my whole family and I were talking about something in the bible and for some reason which is totally different than who I am, I was getting really frustrated with the words in the Bible. 
and I'm I'm telling you guys, like I bring everything back to the Bible because if you can't prove it to me in the Bible and tell me why you believe what you believe with the backing of the Lord, like I don't think that you're right ever. Like the Lord is right, not us. And so the fact I was getting so mad was crazy. And it was just about like leadership and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, my 17-year-old brother, and you know that's like even more frustrating if you have siblings, because you're like, how dare this child try to tell me anything? He looks at me across the counter and he just goes, Reagan, why are you getting so emotional about this? Like, why is this triggering you so badly? And all of a sudden, I just broke. and. All of the lies that had been spoken over me back whenever I was 17 came to the surface. And my mom, my brother and sister denounced every single one of those lies and replaced it with the truth. And that set me free. Like the people who knew me, who know me at my worst Like, they see me whenever I am being ridiculous and being a jerk. Like, they know me. And they didn't see what those people said. Just prove to me, oh my word. Like, I'm believing a lie. Even though, five years ago, God called me to write them a letter telling those people how much they meant to me in my life. Because they were a part of calling me out into ministry and calling out my gifts. It was just one moment where the enemy got in and that they started like saying all of those horrible things. And so I had forgiven them, but I hadn't given up the lies. And so I finally, (laughs) finally let go. It was like, wow, okay, so it's time And so I started not just sharing on social media, but like sharing with real purpose and sharing not out like not begrudgingly, because in January, January 31st, 2023, my Facebook and Instagram got hacked and deleted, gone. And all of my friends, all of my followers gone, which Instagram, it wasn't like a lot, you know, it's like 600, which I mean, it sounds like if you had 600 people in a room, I mean, that'd be a lot of people, but, um, you know, but you know, like years since I was fifth, well, 13 is whenever I got my Facebook. So 14 years of having a Facebook gone. And then, um, like 10, 11 years on Instagram, crazy, like gone. So, I like had started and the Lord just said, I want you to post on TikTok every single day. So I was doing that. And all of a sudden that moment hit in March where the Lord just set me completely free from those lies. And I was able to like really go after it. And so I started showing up to all of our company meetings with such a different mindset and really sharing and telling people, um, spoke at a conference this year. Um, being able to just like take more opportunities and even starting this podcast, which that's insane to me. I've been thinking about it for a year. I had no idea I would finally do it Um, (laughs) now, but the Lord has just like set me free in that. And so 
this girl who has been hiding for 10 years would come out a little bit of hiding whenever her dad would tell her, like, hey, you've got this, this is it, you know, set her up. Um, but because of grief, hid even further in the cave. Finally got set free to start sharing. And so I hope that listening to this kind of jumbled up story a little bit about me and not even like just the fun stuff. I guess I could end it on all the fun things about me, um, like fun fact things. But first, let me just say this. I hope that through hearing my story, you can hear about a girl who got to know Jesus at a very young age and was put on stages all of her life. But because of some words that the enemy wanted to sow, started hiding. But unlike Elijah, who came out of the cave after a couple of days, instead stayed in the cave for about 10 years, except for randomly like poking her head out to say some things and then hiding again, was finally set free. And I want you to know that you have a voice and a calling of God on your life for a specific purpose because there are people who need to hear from you. And so any lie from the enemy that tries to shut you up and stop you from sharing needs to be shut down. And here's my challenge for you. Go grab a journal, and I want you to say at the very top, Dear Heavenly Father, I am so sorry for believing lies instead of believing what you said about me. I will no longer believe the lies that say and list them out, every single lie. Maybe say, list out the lie, I'm not enough. I don't know what I'm talking about. No one will listen. I can't because it's too hard to share. People won't like it. I denounce all of those lies. And now I realign myself with the truth that is found in the word of God. And those words are, and I want you to list out every single thing that combats the lies. Because you know the lies are actually really the only thing that the enemy will ever tell you. You see, every single time he opens his mouth, as we see in John 8, you see, Jesus was telling the Pharisees, he was like, you guys are the sons of, of the father of lies. Your father is the father of lies. And whenever he speaks, he speaks lies, which are his native tongue. And so every single time the enemy opens his mouth, every time Satan opens his mouth, he actually is just telling you a lie. And so if we know that someone's going to lie to us every single time they talk to us, why do we listen? And the same thing, those lies that have been spoken over you need to be set free in Jesus' name. And so in that journal, I want you to write out the lies and then denounce them. Say, Lord, forgive me for believing them. And now start walking out the truth and start sharing. I hope that this podcast was not just like a, oh, wow, Reagan has a really crazy story. And I cried a little bit. Um... But it was something that encourages you to go and live out the calling of God that he has on your life. That is the most important thing I could ever share with you, is that you have a call and a purpose on your life. And that's actually why I became a coach. Because I remember talking, and like I said in the trailer, I was talking to someone I love so deeply. And I was telling her about just all the things God was doing in my life. And she just looked at me, she goes, and we we're talking about prophetic words and stuff. And she goes, oh, honey, if every word that God 
said that was prophesied over me came true, I would have the ministry the size of a blank. But I'm not living that out. And I was just heartbroken because I knew that if she had someone listening to her that was a coach that believed and listened to the Holy Spirit, they could give her the space to be able to talk out what God has put inside of her, filter it out from what is not God and what is God, to be able to come to the place of realization of clarity to live out the calling of God on her life. That, that's why I became a coach, because I'm so tired of people telling me that whenever they're in their 80s, instead of being able to share what God is doing and living it out. So here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you are like, dang, I really need to talk to her. Go to this link that's in the description below and get on my calendar. Let's meet. Let's talk for about 30 minutes and let's uncover what God's put inside of you. And then you can find out later if you want to coach with me full time and we can go through like our coaching program and we'll talk. But here's the thing. I want you to go grab that journal and I want you to go unpack what God is doing in your heart and denounce the lies that are spoken over you because you need to replace them with the truth that of, of what God tells you he says about you. And also, I want you to be encouraged to live out your calling. So before we end, I might as well tell you some fun stuff about me, not just all of my story and like the harder stuff. Because I feel like if you're going to want to listen, you're also going to want to know a little bit more about who you're listening to. <laughs> so um, I said this before, I love to move. I've moved all of my life. I literally, every two years, I'm like, okay, I'm getting the itch to like move again. Um, I'm a bookworm. I love reading books. Whenever I was a kid, my mom and dad, they would be like, I've got to ground her from books because I, she gets one and she's like gone for five hours. I love reading. I'm also the weird person that during the day is whenever I like to read nonfiction. But before I go to sleep, I love to read fiction. So I'm always reading like two or three books at the same time. It's kind of ridiculous. And also, if it is a nonfiction book, it has to be paper, like it has to be real, like it has to be a real book because I write an underline in my books. And so if you ever get a book from me, it's not one that I have like read in. It's I bought you a new one because I'm not going to give you one with all of my notes and marked up and just where you see like, wow, so convicting everywhere. You know, that's kind of like annoying. You need to be able to have the space to write out what God's doing in your life, you know? Um, but if it's fiction, I am okay with it being electronic, but I still tend to buy now because I don't like screens in my room because I read, you know, John Mark Comer's book about the ruthless elimination of hurry. And so like now I try to not have any screens in my room. I just read like a real book. Um, so yeah, I guess both have to be real, but I don't mind if a fiction book is electronic. Um, also, I love watching movies and TV shows. I believe that there is no greater way to get to know somebody then through watching a movie, a book, or a YouTube video, I find really fun. Like, if you don't laugh whenever I laugh and you don't find it funny, we're probably not going to be friends. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, I love doing that. I also watch 99% of the things that I watch are foreign, um, which is crazy. And um, 
Oh, I guess because y'all found out a little bit about my mom. She's half Japanese, so that means I'm a quarter Japanese. And, well, Okinawan to be specific, if you know where Okinawa is. Um, so, quarter Okinawan. And um, all the rest is like Great Britain. Like, literally, I'm Scottish, Irish, English, and Welsh. And I have had one person who actually guessed that I was part Scottish. It was crazy. Like, I was 18 years old. And this older lady looked at me. She was like, what's your ethnicity? And I was like, oh, um, I'm a quarter Japanese. And like the rest of me is like Great Britain. Gave her the whole spiel. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're, you're part Scottish, right? And I was like, yes. How did you know? And she was like, right here. I can tell like right here on the, like your nose and your eyes. I can tell you're Scottish. I was like, oh my gosh. It was crazy. Um, because everyone like guesses I'm Italian. It just, I mean, I get it. It's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, that. Let's see. What else? Oh, I'm a social introvert. So um, that means I don't mind being in large crowds, but definitely need my alone time. Um, I love just like sitting on a couch, watching a movie, reading a book, watching a TV show. And um, I guess I should say like favorite movies. If we're going to go movie route, they, it would definitely be You've Got Mail and the Anne of Green Gables movies. I could watch those like five times a year. Love those. Um, so those are my like... I mean, I guess, like, Anne of Green Gables from Canada. So, like, kind of foreign. But, like, those are, like, the English-speaking things that I like. Everything else is, like, yeah, K-dramas, J-dramas, C-dramas. Started watching Taiwanese and um, I watched, like, one Thai drama. Like, yeah, so, like, love all of that. So much fun learning Korean and Japanese right now. Um, not as great as my brother and sister with that. My sister knows far more Korean and my brother knows far more Japanese than me. I am just, you know, trying, <laughs> but <laughs> love that. Um, and let's see anything else that's kind of fun about me. Um, oh, if I get really obsessed with, like, I love to learn. And so I get on kicks with things. And if you start talking to me for very long, you're going to hear about the new thing I'm learning and how I've watched thousands of videos trying to learn more about it. Like even starting this podcast, I've watched, and I know this is kind of weird, but I've watched like a billion videos on podcasting and watching podcasters and like watching how they interview and like I'm dissecting it. It's kind of ridiculous. And my family's tired of hearing the word podcast around me right now. So it's kind of great. So yeah. Um... Yeah, that's a little bit about me, and I am so thankful that you listened or watched this and that you have joined me in this crazy ride of starting the Ivy Collective podcast. Friend, I hope that you have an amazing day and that you take these things that I've shared with you and you put them into practice because who you are is amazing. And the reason that we went with the name Ivy Collective is not just because I am Reagan Ivy, but also because ivy means connected and can withstand all seasons. And so you've heard just a few seasons of my life and the things that God's called me through. And there's so much that you can do in yours too. So friend, I hope you have a great day and I hope you have an awesome week and go dig into what God's called you to do because it's phenomenal. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.